This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. going to the heart of all things Saints FC. The fallout from Saints semi-final loss at Wembley over the weekend continues and we'll reflect with our thoughts of the game, including whether Ralph Hasenhutl was right to suggest post-game that his side, quote, left everything on the pitch. Editor's note, I'm not quite sure what everything equates to in this situation. End of editor's note. We'll also look ahead to Saints' next match as they swiftly travel up to London again on Wednesday, this time to face Tottenham Hotspur, now without Jose Mourinho. Alongside our preview of that match, I'll also be asking our panel for their thoughts on the news of the last 24-48 hours that 12 European sides, including Spurs, have apparently agreed to join a new midweek competition called the Super League. Another editor's note. Do you know what? F*** off the lot of them. (coughs) Suffice to say, should it ever arise, we can confirm right now that TSP will never sign up to any European super podding breakaway league. Anyway, our esteemed weekly panel, as I mentioned, remain Steve Grant, owner of Saints Web, League One minus ten blogger Glenn Delacour and the Athletics Dan Sheldon. Evening, guys. Evening. Evening. We all doing all right? Anything happened? Interesting. <laughs> well, look, that was my next question here. I had, uh, I'm going to read this. And a nice, <laughs> quiet Monday in the virtual office, Dan. Really quiet day today. I, you know, it's just feet up all day, what, you know, sitting in the sun. I, I don't know what you guys have been talking about. What, what's happened? What have I missed? Yeah, I've not seen much, to be honest. Glenn, Steve, I don't no, know. No, tumbleweed, I thought. <laughs> I know. I, no, I, I it's thought, absolutely yeah. mental. <laughs> yeah, it has, doesn't it? Yeah, um, before we get going, I'd like to give a, a shout-out to Sankal in India. Glad to hear you enjoy listening to the podcast, Sankal, and hope you get well soon. Also, to our TSP patrons, don't forget it's our VIP event or events later this week. We'll be hosting two in April to try and capture as many of you globally as we can. So please do join us either Friday the 23rd at 8pm UK time or Saturday the 24th at 10am UK time. 
Hope to see a few of you across those two catch-ups. Okay, underpinned by our global TSP patrons, this is TSP 158. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints bowed out of the 2020-21 FA Cup in disappointing style after a lacklustre 1-0 defeat to Leicester City. In front of around 4,000 spectators, Kelechi Iniacho's 55th minute goal was enough to see the Foxes reach the final versus Chelsea. Dan, it was a, a tie that promised a, a lot for Saints beforehand, particularly by the words that uh, were being spoken, but eventually delivered very little. Yeah, it was really underwhelming, wasn't it? Uh, a massive, massive opportunity missed for Southampton. They, As I've kind of surmised, I just thought they, they turned up and played like a team that didn't want to get beat three or four nil. And that for me was the most disappointing thing. They just didn't, there was no endeavor going forward The the attacking players just didn't look sharp to not have a single shot on target in a semi-final is so poor. It's the semi-final, even when you're in the last five minutes, you should just be throwing absolutely everything at it. And we, we just didn't, didn't see it. And yeah, to go out that way, it's, it's a shame. Uh, I don't think anyone really deep down expected them to beat Leicester, but you did expect a better performance than that, especially because Leicester weren't great themselves. And if ever you could have beaten Leicester, I honestly thought last night they were there for the taking. But no, Iniacho's goal was, was good. It was a, a sloppy goal, I think, to give away. I think you could probably make an argument that Bednarek should, should commit a foul, but I mean, that that's hindsight. You move on from that overall. Just just a very underwhelming performance uh, on what I expected would have been a lot more intense energy. And yeah, just just disappointed, really. Steve, as I mentioned, it was fairly meek from Saints. Not much energy and uh, this obviously ongoing struggle with confidence and mindset. Similar tactics personnel that we've seen. Leicester in the sort of second gear, I suppose. And uh, as Dan mentioned there, not a single effort on target by us. I know Fraser Robertson had sent a message through today. So Fraser, thank you saying... Do you guys think that Saints not getting to the FA Cup final is a big opportunity missed? I pretty much wrote down the same question here, Steve, because I think all in all we would agree it's a big opportunity missed. Yeah, I mean, especially as Dan said, that Leicester weren't anything special by any stretch of the imagination. But I think I kind of didn't have, an, have too much of an issue with our sort of standoffish approach in the first half, because I think if you go, you never quite know what um, what mood this Leicester team is going to be in. And they, they are. Let's let's be honest, they're still third. They're still third, I think, aren't they, in the, in the Premier League? So they're still in the Champions League place with a handful of games to go. So they're, they're still a good team. Yeah, and you can't win a game in the first half, but you can certainly lose it. Exactly. And there, there's, there's kind of no sense in us going out, going sort of all guns blazing and, and getting picked off on the break and being 2-0 down at half-time and, and then having to commit men, commit bodies forward in the second half and the scoreline being the sort of big score that you're fearing. So I, I kind of had no particular issue with staying in the game up until half time. But then once it got to half time, that second half, we didn't do anything until we were suddenly jolted into action by them scoring. And I mean, let's, let's be brutally honest here. That goal was a goal absolutely befitting of that game. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a terrible goal to concede. It was a t- I mean, to be honest, it was a terrible, terrible goal to score because I mean, Ian, Ian Acho has shanked, shanked the initial shot, probably a good three yards wide of goal and it just happens to have hit Vestergaard on the shins and bounce and bounce kindly back straight to him and I mean that's that's just I mean when when you when your luck's down to an extent that's 
that's the way it goes. And if 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 that had missed Vestergaard, then all of a sudden, right, danger's over, and we're we're still in this game at nil nil. Okay, that's a that's a little bit of a wake up call that we've been been done down the flank, but. Okay, we um, we we live to fight another day. But yeah, I mean, from from there we had what a ten minute spell where we we put put them under a fair bit of pressure. A um, few few corners where Schmeichel came and flapped at um, Diallo's um, shot from the edge of the area. Which I mean, the technique on that was extraordinary. But I mean, he's he's not scored a single senior goal, so I don't think anybody was exactly expecting that to go. But yeah, beyond that, it was it was like. What have we got here, lads? I mean, as as, you, as Dan said, we were just pinging it up high for for Danny Ings to not win the header against Soyuncu. And I mean, who's who? By the way, was a little bit fortunate to stay on the pitch. I thought, um, having been booked. And then I don't know if you saw last was it last week the women's international break? There was that Northern Northern Ireland against. I did say it, yeah, that was a little bit more cynical that one, Steve. Was, to be honest, but, yeah, yeah. It, it was more it was <laughs> more cynical, but it was it was quite similar. Um, but of course, VAR can't rule on a yellow card, um, which is what that what that challenge probably would have been. Um, so yeah, we're kind of done by the the sort of vague the sort of sort of minutiae of the of the um, of the law there. But it's yeah, I mean it's it's frustrating that we didn't really turn up. But then, I mean, for 2021, we haven't really turned up for the vast majority of it. So I. I'd be surprised if anybody's that surprised, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And Glenn, uh, as the guys mentioned, I mean, it was a frustrating goal to give away. Um, obviously, there was a bit of luck with the rebound falling to Iniacho, as uh, Steve mentioned. But the problems kind of started well before that, didn't they? Letting Vardy pull out onto the wing, Bednarek going with him, you know, getting turned and then being sort of rapidly outrun. And I think, you know, we were talking about it on our um, chat, weren't we? I think surely a, a more cynical side maybe than, than us would have uh, just brought Vardy down on the wing there, take the, the pressure away, and then you kind of reset, then you. So a bit of naivety there. And uh, as Steve said, kind of just a, a goal that as soon as he turned, you kind of knew what was going to happen. I was screaming at Bednarek at the time, bring him down. Just kick I him. I mean, yeah. it's Jamie Vardy, for Christ's sake. So you don't need an excuse to kick him. Just kick the get him out of play, take the yellow card. And as long as you go somewhere near the ball, you're not going to get sent off. Take the yellow card, get back in position. It's it was absolutely criminal. You could see it coming. I mean, Vardy doesn't actually, he's definitely lost a little bit of his pace, but you could still see him absolutely burning past Bednarek. You've got to take him down. It's ridiculous that he didn't He didn't do it. The goal was lucky, as Steve said. It wasn't going anywhere. It's, it's hit Vestergaard and, and dropped straight back to him. It could have hit his knee and flown off at any other angle, and we may well have got away with it. But, it, you know, it's gone back to him, and, and um, yeah, he's, he's, he's stuck it away. But, I mean, the, the problem was what happened after that. I mean, we're talking about the 10 minutes after that being our best spell. It, it wasn't a good enough spell to actually have a shot that went anywhere near the goal. So that was it. And the, the final 25 minutes was just crap. It was it was limited, clueless, gutless crap. No one took responsibility, including Ralph. He did nothing. I mean, that that, that formation at the end, taking off the fullbacks, putting on wingers, that, that was obviously just on the hoof. That hadn't been practiced or anything. And, and that was just rubbish as well. And it was just we've had too many games recently where you're watching it thinking we're never going to score. We're, we're never going to score. I mean, I think the problem stems from. I mean, talk about players becoming brilliant when they're not playing. Oriol Romeu is is so badly missed. I just think he gives, even though he's not an attacking player, he gives everyone else the confidence to be able to go forward. 
if you look at it, the last few weeks, I mean, well, Carl Walker-Peters hardly got forward at all yesterday. Ryan Bertrand doesn't got forward for about a month. You've you've got, you know... Stuart Armstrong was good in the first half, non-existent in the second yeah, half. Yeah. There's, there's no one looking to pass the ball forward apart from Vestergaard. He's the only one who looks to... You know, break a line with a pass and 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 pick out a runner or or at least someone coming short because none of the, I mean Ings was moving into space a bit. None of the other four players were trying to stretch the Leicester defence. It was just it was just garbage. It walked, I mean, the start of the season, War Prowse was making runs ahead of the ball as well. You know, to make an extra player in the box because he he knew he had the insurance of Romeo behind him. Now I'm not blaming Diallo for this, but he's not the same sort of player. And and all Ralph has done is try to plug Diallo into that gap. And it, it clearly hasn't been working the last few weeks. So, you know, why not try a formation that has three players in the middle? Why not? You know, you could do that with 3-5-2 or you could do that with 4-5-1. You, you could do it a number of ways. You know, we've got Salasu now, so we've got the extra centre-half. So we could play three at the back. The central midfield, for me, was a disaster. And the other thing that struck me is we lost this game with the West Brom performance because we were so bad in that game. I think that's what sent us into this game with the mindset of, as Dan said, we're not going to get hammered here. If we, it, it took me back a little bit to 2003. You remember we got absolutely stuffed by Arsenal just before the cup final. 6 1, yeah, wasn't it? By, well, yeah. their reserves. Jermaine Pennon yeah, and, and that, Robert Perez both scored hat tricks. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of told us that, oh, hang on. You know, and that, that, that infused the way we played in the final, which was very sort of negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we probably Despite the lost. fact we'd beaten Arsenal at home. Yeah. earlier in the season that yeah. was Matt yeah it's Matt Delgado match wasn't it yeah 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 I mean we possibly of course might have lost anyway because they were a very good side but it, it I was I was thinking about that you're right the game. Dan, when you say that you know thinking back now you're spot on yeah but to, to me that West Brom performance was so bad is that we had to get that out of our system in the first 20 minutes which and I, I agree with Steve it's perfectly it's a perfectly valid tactic to sit tight for the first half try and suss out the other team's weaknesses and then try and win the game in the second half. Trouble is, we didn't try and win the game in the second half. We only, we seem to be playing for penalties, if that's possible. Not that we were ever going to last 120 minutes without letting a go in. But once they scored, I think that, you know, that period after that told you everything you need to know. What was the team selection as well? What did, what, I mean, Gineppo won that penalty against West Brom and that, that got him a start. Che Adams scores three in three games, gets dropped yeah, I, I got to say and I thought Shea Adams not starting was just a mad. big mistake to be honest. Yeah, huge. But um, yeah, I mean it was it became a good day to bury bad news, of course. But I, I mean I still I'm still fuming about it now. I don't really give a toss about the Super League, but you know th- th- this that performance yesterday was garbage, and I, I think there, there needs to be major questions of Ralph over the way he's managed the resources that he's had available. We all know we haven't got a like-for-like replacement for some of our players, Romeo, the fullbacks. We know that. But in the centre of midfield, there are other options that you could try. And he just just hasn't done it. And, and yeah, West- I mean, he's, he's, he's played a... I mean, he's been dealt a, a pretty poor hand, and yet he's still somehow managed to play it particularly badly in certain aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dan, I have to say, I mean, you know, for anyone that listens to this podcast, 
I'm a big fan of Ralph Hasenhutov. I still remain loyal to him now. You know, hopefully he will be our manager for a long time to come. But there's been a, a lot of, I wouldn't say excuses, there's been a lot of reasons given the last few weeks and months about injuries and not having enough time to prepare and things like that. You know, we had pretty much, bar Oriol Romeo that Glenn mentioned, a, a full squad. Um, we had a week to prepare for this game. I think the other thing that really sort of um, irked me afterwards was this quote uh, that uh, Ralph gave down, which was, uh, we had the chance today... That was an opponent definitely there to beat and we couldn't make it. This is a little bit disappointing, but I cannot say that we didn't leave everything on the pitch today. I just wanted to ask your opinion, Dan, as a neutral, because for me, I didn't feel that any single player on that pitch could say that they left everything out there. So I'm not sure if it was a straight after the game and it was a slight misquote or something like that. But did you feel, Dan, as a neutral, that as a collective team or any individuals really, truly left everything out there? No. I don't think so. I was just trying to think then for a couple of seconds, did anyone particularly stand out? No, they didn't. Uh, to a man, they were all poor. I think when you're the other side of, of the manager and he's just watched that performance, uh, we've all watched that performance, you get two types of managers. You get Jose Mourinho, who will come out and kill his players straight away. Blame the players, blame them. It's their fault. Mourinho's now out of a job because he lost the dressing room, essentially. Then you have a manager like Ralph, or I'm not comparing him to Ferguson, but like Alex Ferguson would never criticise the players in public either. You do it behind behind the scenes. I'm sure Ralph was not happy with that performance, and I'm sure the players were probably told he wasn't happy about that performance. But what is Ralph going to gain by telling the likes of myself that he was really pissed off, his players were crap, etc., etc.? That will just probably cause more issues than what it's worth. Now, I think there's also a line to be drawn in that. I I don't buy that they left everything on the pitch. Perhaps defensively, maybe if that's all they could give, then maybe they did from you know a defensive point of view. They conceded a sloppy goal. But certainly from an attacking point of view, which is my follow-up to, to when he said that they'd left everything out on the pitch, was, are you sure? Because you didn't even have a single shot on on target and then he kind of went into discussing the the chances Diallo had etc etc and no it wasn't good enough from an offensive point of view but to go back to your original question and just to kind of cement my answer no I I don't think there were any players from memory and to be honest so much has happened in my (laughs) job in the last 24 (laughs) hours I I, you know the the semi-final seems like such a blur, such a blur now. Where it is, even, even those of us that have got a vested interest in it. I mean, there's there's long periods of that game that I've got no no idea no, what, um, what happened because it, it was yeah. such a just such a forgettable game. And I mean, Leicester fans are going to remember it because they're now in their first cup final for 50, 60 years. But for us, I mean, there was I mean, if if we'd won it, they'd have they'd have they'd be in the same position as us. It'd be like, well, I I can't actually remember anything memorable happening in that game. Semi-finals are often like that, though, aren't they? I mean, the, the, they're, the Man, they're one end of the spectrum to the other. Aren't the, the Man they're, City, they're either the terrible Man, or yeah. brilliant. The Man City Chelsea game on Saturday was crap as well. That yeah. was really, but as, really as Glenn Hoddle said, Glenn, he said, you know, it's about winning. It's not about entertaining. But to win, you have to have a shot on target at least. And Leicester did that, and we didn't. You do, you know. But, well, <laughs> I was going to swear then about some of our, some of our attacking players. You know, yeah. I mean, for God's sake, yeah. it's, it's just. It's just not surprising, you know. We, we 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 don't, as I said earlier, we don't have the players breaking from midfield because we're, you know, we're frightened of leaving ourselves open, and we're relying on individual bits of brilliance, which is probably why he picked Gineppo because he is capable of that on his day. But at the end of the day, he didn't get a single ball. I think he got one ball across. I don't think he beat a player. He got one ball across, which came across at knee height. I Redmond, I barely remember touching the ball other other than to give it away. 
Danny Ings, he, he tried, you know, he, he, he tried, but he was trying to sort of do his usual thing and dance into space. But then he, he seemed reluctant to shoot for some reason. And, and, you know, we were just, as I say, never going to score. Indeed. And I, I don't want to dwell on the point because, uh, you know, I think everyone knows that that was the case. But yeah, Dan, thanks for your intelligent answer versus me as a passionate fan there. But uh, Glenn, I was just going to pick up because you obviously sent me your ratings last night. And to be honest, I couldn't even muster the energy <laughs> to log on. So alongside giving yourself man of the match. Two? Well, alongside giving yourself man of the match quote for watching that ship for 90 minutes, um, there was there was nothing more than a, a five, you know, for Forster, Walker, Peters, Vestergaard, Prowse and Stuart Armstrong. So clearly you didn't feel that there was anyone that, quote, left everything out on the pitch either no no absolutely not I mean you know who who you know marks out of 10 are not the best way to measure a measure a player as we all know but I mean if, if you're going to do that who on earth would you have given more than five out of ten to no, I mean Fraser Ford, Fraser Forster didn't do anything wrong I guess he also didn't didn't make a single save either he didn't make <laughs> everything I mean, on target beat him. <laughs> well well the, the only shot on target in the whole game yeah. was and he had no it, chance for that really? to be fair yeah yeah yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I mean I I thought you know, Vestergaard was the only player who tried to do anything positive, really. And he's and he's our centre back for God's sake. Maybe we should play him in the centre midfield. Who knows? But it's just it was just just shocking all round. I mean, you can usually rely on Armstrong for a half decent performance, but he was very poor second half. He he didn't do much. Danny Ings is the other one you looked to didn't didn't just do the, much. The, num- the number of simple five yard passes that we get wrong. Yeah, like either. Yeah. Either, I mean, there, there was one in the um, sort of just before they scored, I think, where I think Prousey pinged one to um, Armstrong. Armstrong was on the far touchline, and he's absolutely t- at him from about ten, ten yards. Yeah, here, deal, deal with that, mate. Was like, what are you expecting the guy to do here? There was. There was one. There was there was one that was pinged at Chay Adams. I love I love that we're just recreating about, every single missed pass now. Brilliant. I know. There was one that was pinged at Chay Adams' head from about ten yards. It's like control this neck high, hundred miles an hour. Thanks a lot. Oh dear. Jesus. Oh dear. Anyway, Steve, back to the serious stuff. Um, look, I have to say, as the the game kicked off, I actually felt more nervous than I thought I was going to. So I think it probably uh, you know many Saints fans will have. And uh, at this point, I do have to quickly say well done to the the likes of the Saints Australian uh, supporters and. Ian, who I know listens to the pod down in New Zealand. I mean, these guys getting up at 3.30 or 4.30 a.m. on a Monday morning to to watch that in the end. But I suppose the two questions I've got, Steve, is, you know, as a player, how is it almost impossible, seemingly, for them to not uh, motivate themselves for that game? Because, I mean, I think all of us would love to wear a Saint shirt and get out there and, uh, you know, represent the club at Wembley. But I think the second point as well is, do you think one or two or all of them potentially will wake up this morning with a few regrets at a missed opportunity, not in terms of the game, but in terms of their own individual performance? I mean, I, th- I think they wouldn't be at the level that they're at if they didn't wake up and think, "Oh Christ, I could have." If if, on- if only we'd we'd all been even 10% better in that game. I, I think that's that's absolutely natural. But yeah, I mean, I, mu- I must admit that I I went it- went into the game not not especially nervous because I didn't really kind of had relatively low expectations after after Monday night. That wasn't that wasn't. It certainly didn't bode well that performance, and unfortunately, so it so it transpired. I think that's what well, I was nervous about, Steve. Us getting pumped. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, as long as you don't get embarrassed. But it was. I mean, that was. It was kind of a different kind of embarrassment yesterday. It was. It was strange. It was all like once that, as we as Glenn said, once that ten minute spell where we actually looked vaguely competent um, in attack kind of passed. All of a sudden, it was like, okay, what what are we trying to do here? It was almost as if we were the ones defending the one 0 lead. Yeah. Just very, very strange. 
But yeah, I, I, I don't. It's di- it's difficult to get inside the mind of a professional when obviously I'm not at that. I'm not at their level, and the the mindset that you need in order to get to that level is it's just kind of streets ahead. But yeah, there's there's got to be a, a sense of regret, a sense of sense of annoyance, I guess. I mean, obviously Ralph Ralph is going to take take a fair bit of the heat, I would imagine, for team selection, the way we set up, the way um, the substitutions were were dealt with, and and that sort of thing. But ultimately, once you cross the white line, it's still down to the players to to kind of put in put into action what how they feel the game the game needs to be played, and none of them stepped up. I mean, Ward Prowse has been a has been a captain as kind of leading by example for the vast majority of the season. But he's played every minute of every game, and I mean, yesterday he just looked knackered. Yeah, um, thought that for a few weeks. To be and honest. he's not a leader in terms of geeing people up, or at least he doesn't doesn't appear to be. He may he may well be, but I mean, obviously we've got no idea what goes on in the in the dressing room and things like that. But he doesn't seem like the sort who's going to kind of get into get into people and and say, come on, pull pull yourself together, let's get let's get this sorted. Um, he'll leave that to other people and. Yeah, I mean, we we don't seem to we kind of lack those the vocal leaders that we that we perhaps had sort of a year or two ago. I mean, I guess Romeo is possibly that sort of player, although he he doesn't seem that loud either. Yeah, you look at that team and it's like, well, who's who's the one that's doing the motivating? I mean, yeah, obviously players should be self-motivated at, at that level when you're playing in a in a cup semi-final and things like this. But ultimately, it's that it's the those marginal gains from um, motivation from from outside, and that's what we that's one that's one thing we saw we seem to be sorely lacking. Yeah. Just finally, then, Dan, do you think the performance and result of Wembley takes the the gloss off the FA Cup run a, a little bit this season, or should we still be positive and encouraged? And we always try to end on a positive, as everyone that listens will know, by the the fact that we got to Wembley and being one of the final four. I think you answer that question at the end of the season. I think you can reflect a lot better once you know where they finished in the league and you take everything into account. If they go on a mazy run and end up finishing 11th and you reach an FA Cup semi-final, then you probably look back and take stock and think, Do you know what, that was a pretty good season. We missed an opportunity in the FA Cup, but we got there and we finished 11th. If the season kind of dies a long, painful death over the remaining seven games and they end up just kind of hovering around 16th and don't really set anything on fire, then I, I think you look back at it in a completely different light. And that, But that's just the nature of football. So I think to answer that question properly, you'd have to wait and see where they finish in the, in the season because I'm sure if you'd have said to 10 Southampton fans, right, you're going to finish 11th, you're going to be top of the league at one point, you're then going to have an injury crisis, etc., etc. You're going to lose 9-0 again. But you're going to reach an FA Cup semi-final and finish 11th. I mean, I think covering the club, you kind of get used to the ups and downs. You probably would have taken that. So, but to end, I think to end on a positive note, I know we've spent a lot of time talking or trying to dissect what went wrong at Wembley for the men's team. But I think we should all kind of just pay tribute to the women's team that advanced in the FA Cup and, you know, that they're still going strong. So, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, so so good on them. You know, where, where the men's FA Cup dream ended, the women are, women are still going strong. So, you know, I think everyone should kind of get behind them and 
and see what they can do and hopefully they can as you say fly the flag well said Dan lastly well done to Glenn Steve and myself for correctly predicting prior to his pre-match press conference and the game itself that uh, Ralph would be wearing a tracksuit at Wembley that was indeed the case commiserations of course to Simon Peach who went for a suit and Dan as you kind of went for both no idea what to say really congratulatory uh, commiserations I think uh, you still don't know what he had on underneath that jacket then so <laughs> <laughs> to be honest I think you've got to null and void the whole thing This is the Total Saints Podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. On Sunday morning, I thought I'd sit down with a coffee and get ahead of the game by writing up my pod notes and questions regarding the Tottenham Premier League match with Saints on Wednesday. Less than 24 hours later, most of them were null and void, so this is take two. All the talk was about European Super Leagues and Jose Mourinho being sacked one week before the Carabao Cup final with Man City. Dan, as this is a Saints pod, we'll focus on the Spurs match in a moment, but I'm sure listeners would be interested to hear Steve Glennon, your views on these Super League reports that broke on Sunday evening. In a nutshell, that 11 of Europe's biggest clubs, and Tottenham Hotspur as well, have agreed to join a breakaway European Super League with a proposed format to rival the UEFA Champions League, but still allow all of them to compete in their normal domestic leagues, an apparent case of the rich wanting to get richer. After what's been a chaotic 24 hours or so for a new outlets Dan like the Athletic what are you hearing about it and what's your own sort of personal views I think you're hearing about it what you know what what is kind of being reported if I'm being honest it's such a live story that it's just going to go on and on and you know we hear things and then we the way it works at the Athletic is we we've got a kind of big channel and you all kind of like feed in what you may be hearing or you're talking to contacts etc about the issue and I think it's just a fast moving story it's just it's mental it's absolutely bonkers it is i mean i thought project big picture was a humongous story which which it was in its own right but this is just an even bigger one and you're thinking no they're just posturing that yeah this is just they're strong arm in uefa ahead of uefa's meeting today and they're not going to do it and then you see them starting to resign from the ECA and you're like, oh, hang on, are they are they actually being serious about this or are they still posturing? And I still don't really know. It, it feels very real, but I think it's one of those that if it's going to get killed, it will probably happen in the next day or two, that there will just be so much said, done. People will come out, the government will come out strong, the Premier League will come out strong. There's a meeting uh, on Tuesday with... 14 clubs and the, the, the six Super League lot aren't invited. So that's going to be interesting. The fallout, well, what are they going to talk about? What's their response going to be? They, they have to be strong. But just from a personal point of view, it just kills football. It kills competition. It's just, it's crap. You know, West Ham, uh, I think they're in the Champions League spots. Leicester, why, why bother anymore? If you're them, why bother? Because you're not going to be part of, you're not going to get those, those special nights. I've, I've just seen on Twitter, Peachy, tweet the the picture of the San Siro and you know nights like that just wouldn't exist anymore for fans of Southampton or or West Ham or anyone and it's it's greed it's it's everything that that's already been said they they should hang them their heads in shame but you know I was before coming on the pod I was listening to Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville speak so eloquently on Monday Night Football and as Gary Neville said you've got Joel Glazer in America multi-billionaire does he really care really Roman Abramovich at Chelsea does he really care what people think probably not they've got far I'm sure in their minds they've got far big far bigger fish to fry well Abramovich Um, has certainly been accused of worse hasn't he precisely so it's 
it's a it's a dark day for football, I think. But I, I hope that I see light in the sense that I think the swell, the movement is just going to get so big against it that there's almost no way it can go ahead. And if it goes ahead, then well, it's it's a very sad day in my mm, opinion. Yeah. And Steve, I I can't say highly enough how much I despise those involved, etc. But the Premier League was set up in 1992 to make a lot of money, wasn't it? And certainly folk like Rupert Murdoch at Sky and people like that have done okay out of it. So I suppose some would ask what the difference is between that and this. Oh, it's it's certainly got a a fair element of hypocrisy about it. I mean, it goes back to the. The, the whole greed thing probably goes back to the 70s when you had the big clubs that lobbied and well successfully lobbied for the share of the gate receipts to be removed so basically the home team kept all the gate receipts and that obviously favored the favored the bigger clubs who had who had the bigger stadia and the bigger fan bases because they would uh, therefore earn more money then obviously you get the premier league formation in um, in 92, which separates the top division out from basically the rest of the f- rest of football in this country. And yeah, it's I mean, it's no it's kind of just taking it's I, mean, I guess it's almost kind of taking it to its natural, natural um, next level. It's just the way the way it's come out has been just so completely, completely and utterly crass and unapologetic. Like you had um, the Sky Sports uh, reporter Carve Solicol yeah, was yeah, on Sky yeah. Sports News this morning where he'd, um, he was quoting verbatim a um, big six club director. He didn't name the director, but it would be very interesting to hear which, which one it was that he, that he got this quote from. He basically said that they, they don't, they don't give a toss about the flack that they're getting at the moment because they kind of expected it and and they'll ri- they'll ride it out and they don't and they genuinely don't care about well this, I think the, the the quote was that um, it was the about wide, maximising wider... profits wasn't it maximising profits number one and the the, yeah, the the wider game the wider game is um, less of a worry yeah exactly yeah and yeah I mean when when quotes are I mean they're not directly attributed to somebody but when they're attributed to a group in such a way i mean the the launch of this seemed just on the face of it seems to be an absolute pr disaster i mean we'll we'll see how it see how it all transpires in the fullness of time but i mean you, f- you find it hard to see how how these big clubs kind of come back from it in i mean if if they don't just dive in dive in two-footed and just go for it um and think well um we'll have to we'll have to go have to go with it and just see how it goes um if they don't now go full throttle for it how do they row themselves back and um it's like it's that it's that gif of homer simpson edging back into the into the hedge isn't <laughs> yeah, it the reputational it's, damage it's, isn't it yeah yeah i mean the the, I mean, as Gary Neville put on Monday Night Football, like um, Liverpool and United. I mean, I I don't necessarily subscribe to this view because I think that actually they're they've been vulture clubs for for many many years. But the biggest clubs in the country should theoretically stand for operating to a certain level of I don't know what what the word is credibility, integrity. And yet there's been absolutely none of it. I mean, you hear the hear the quotes from Alexander Seferin, the UEFA president, um, this morning, basically saying that Ed Woodward and Andrea Agnelli from Juventus are basically just absolute outright liars. He's never never known uh, snakes like it. And it's just extraordinary stuff. Um, I mean, it's it's the sort of story that you wouldn't be able to write for for an episode of Dream Team. Did you see that? I, I didn't realise this. Seferin is the godparent of Agnelli's yeah. daughter. <laughs> and, I mean, that's brilliant. You know, that's, a, that's a family relationship. 
<laughs> so that'll be an awkward Christmas, won't it? But uh, yeah, I mean, in, in short, Glenn, then uh, I think we all agree, don't we? Yet another kick between the legs for football fans or consumers, as I think we're known these days, because we've always been told how important we are in this game that was created by the working class for the working class. But you know, rarely, <laughs> rarely are we ever thought about these days, fans. It's you know, as Steve said there, it's just the the, the benefit of football, the benefit of fans, etc., etc., is just a, a secondary issue. Well, they haven't even thought about their own fans, clearly, because if they had... It's expensive travelling around Europe, isn't it? They'd know that 99% of them would be against it, and the 1% who... It's the the, the the markets you're looking... Domestic domestic ones aren't the fans they give a toss about. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. The fans in the UK may not watch Man United, or Man United's fans in the UK may not watch it, but do the fans in Asia really care? No, they're still watching. Do, do they want a, pro- a product where, I mean, you would think the games are still going to be, Manchester United, for example, are the home games in this league, are they, they're still going to be played in, in Manchester, in Old Trafford, or are they going to be shipped all around the world to Shanghai and, and all that rubbish? Are, are they happy with the products that, you know, if they play a game in Manchester, you would hope it would be large scale boycotted and there wouldn't be very many people in there. Is, is that what they want? You know, I mean, the problem the problem I have with this is it's the whole have your cake and eat it. You know, they want these ring fenced earnings that they're going to get every single year and they still want to play in the Premier League. I'm sorry. You know, if they were if they were organising something where they completely broke away and didn't have anything to do with the English football pyramid, then, you know, I'd 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 almost be tempted to say, well, let's roll the dice and see what happens. I know financially there would be pain to start with, but the the football pyramid, I I can't remember which pundit I saw going on about this, Stan Collymore, I think it was. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. I know. Some of it's a bit... It's it's never a good day when you're on the same same side of an argument as Stan Collymore, is it? No, I was... And I retweeted a tweet by Dejan Lovren today. Oh, Oh my God. The football's gone mad. The football's gone mad. mad. It's got hell in a handcart. But but he, um, you know, he was talking about the football pyramid. And the whole idea of the football pyramid is, is, as you know, is it you win the league... You go up to the next level. You win the league. You go up to the next level. You get to the Premier League. You come in the you top. You go back down. Or, yeah, yeah. Or you, or you go back down, and you you qualify for Europe, and that's that's the ultimate end game, or that's what it should be. But they're, they're this is proposing to basically cut the top off for that. We've already mentioned Leicester are currently third, West Ham are currently fourth. You know how how does that work? Um, you know, and I love the bit in the proposal about the um, the five teams qualify on merit. I mean, what is that about? That that's just a a sop to try and um, to try and head the you know head off. Well, and, the, and the small print of that is that they, they basically <laughs> they basically get sod all money from it. Yeah. So I mean, you know, these these clubs have got all the advantages anyway. They've they've probably got I don't know a hundred times more 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 cash than a club like Saints has got, and they want two hundred times or five hundred times. So how on earth? Is anyone supposed to compete? You know, it's an American thing. They want the American model where it's it's guaranteed and you you don't get relegated. It doesn't matter how crap you are. But I mean, why why an MLS club? Yeah, the the best laugh I had was Spurs trying to cast themselves as um, a a Europe, a European elite club when they haven't won the the, the top division in this country since I think it's 1961. Correct. So um, they've not even won a trophy since 91, have they? No, I think uh, League, League Cup in 2008. Yeah, I think Wigan and Swansea have won a have won a trophy in more recent history than Spurs. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it's just a joke. So it's not, you know, it, it stops it stops being about sporting merit. And as soon as it stops being about sporting merit, then then it's a joke. And I think this is, you know, this was Gary Neville's point 
um, yesterday when he had his initial outburst. Outburst, and I think Carragher said the same thing. It's you know it's not about sporting merit anymore, and and that the whole thing's a joke. Fans are. You know, we go back to talking about fans, match-going fans. You, you're brought up with this with this idea of, as Steve said, a meritocracy, but the, the, this isn't that, and it's just it's just a horrible thing. So they can either, as far as I'm concerned, they can either clear off altogether and go and go and take their ball and go and have their little competition, and I can safely ignore it, or or the whole thing goes down in flames. But the, the sanctions are going to be interesting because they're they're going to get. I mean, will Man City get booted out the Champions League this year? Will I they? Don't, I, don't, I don't see how legally they can do anything based on this no. season because there nobody has played a game in in a, in any sort of fictional new competition at, at this stage. Yeah, but it, it depends what the league rules say. You know, is signing up for a, an unsanctioned competition a, an offence that can that can see you punished? I mean, the, they could these clubs even if this all falls through, they could certainly get banned for next year. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it'd be interesting to see what the what the meeting of the the other fourteen does in uh, does in this country. But well, I, uh, I yeah. if enough people speak out, I think Jurgen Klopp actually coming out tonight and the interview he gave to Sky, you know that. Yeah, I think credit to him for doing that. He could have I said he was nothing. a little. He was a, he was a little bit woolly on it. I thought, but, but I suppose he has to be. He, he? he said he didn't mm. change his opinion though, did he? And everyone knows mm. what his opinion is that he finds yeah. the whole thing disgusting. And I thought he was throwing them under the bus when he said, "You know, we're not involved. The players or I weren't involved in the process. This has nothing to do with us." Which is just telling that the first they heard about it was almost pretty much when everyone else heard about it. Which kind of just goes to show the contempt that these owners have. For their own employees, really. Yeah. Um, and the club yeah, as a whole, got... Dan. I mean, ultimately, as you yeah, say, whether it's Jurgen yeah, and the players or it's just it's branded as Liverpool, isn't it? It's the supporters yeah. as well that now look like they're part yeah. of it. Yeah. And and it's not just Liverpool. It's not just Liverpool. From conversations I've had today, yes, Liverpool, from what it sounds like, were pushing harder than the other five. It was actually put that City and Chelsea were the more reluctant to, to be honest. I mean, don't mm. get me wrong, Arsenal and Spurs would jump at the opportunity for this kind of guarantee, but. Chelsea and City were, were said to be a little bit more reluctant, but ended up kind of going along with it. Well, City were the last ones to, to agree, weren't yeah. they? Both? Yeah, and it was essentially join the train or see you later. <laughs> they're and all they, as bad, they're all as, bad as each other. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, of course. Look, they've all signed it. They're, they are all as bad as each other. But if over the next few days, Solskjaer comes out, condemns it, says no, ridiculous idea. Thomas Tuchel comes out, Guardiola. I mean, Guardiola, you know, People revere him for what he's done in the Champions League. You know, can he really come out and support this? Really? And if they do that, and if all these guys at these clubs come out and basically just say this is absolute nonsense, where does that leave? Guardiola will take Guardiola will take the money from wherever he doesn't care. Um, he's worked for he's, no seriously he's, he's done promotional work for the Qatari regime ahead of the World Cup um, he's obviously, he obviously works for Abu Dhabi now he's not not fussed about where the where the money comes from as long as he get as but long it, as he it's gets the paid. principle of competition though isn't it these are all competitors and I think oh, yeah that... but I mean don't, let's not forget that every time that Guardiola comes up against a team that that defends really well he's really angry and yet when a team plays um, fast fast open open football and, and they win by three or four he He's absolutely delighted and happy to praise them. Mm. Yeah, he loves saying he, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> and he actually Redmond. doesn't like. He doesn't like competition. Yeah, that's mm. the last thing he wants. He wants people just to just to bow down and and give them a free pass through to everything. The most important thing in my book is because Simon Peach covers Man United. Can we start calling him Super Simon Peach now? I thought we did that anyway. 
Yeah, I know. And Dan covers Saints, so we can call him Shamble Sheldon or something like that. <laughs> I, know, I know. Well, I've got to say, we're recording well. Uh, Leeds are playing uh, against that other team. Uh, and uh, well, Leeds, Leeds, Leeds' social media has said we've kicked off against. Well, Moses you took the words out of my yeah. You took the oh, words out of my mouth, Steve, because I said uh, you're right. Eight o'clock, they tweeted to say we're underway against the Merseyside Reds at Ellen Road. So well done to Leeds. But uh, look, let's move on because I think we could uh, talk about it a lot. I think as Dan, you rightly said, there's going to be a lot more on it. I'm sure people are a lot more educated than the four of us. Uh, well, maybe the three. Of us and Dan uh, will uh, come up with some interesting views and we'll see where it goes but let's move on to just finish on the, the Spurs versus Saints match then uh, Steve look Jose Mourinho was uh, confirmed on Monday morning as having been sacked by Spurs ahead of this game in true Saints style of course um, at time of recording we don't kind of know all the ins and outs but just in a nutshell and let's I suppose try and keep it fairly brief are, are you surprised by that decision or not? Um, I'm not surprised he's been sacked I'm very surprised by the timing because I mean the whole Mourinho shtick is oh I win trophies and they've got a cup final on Sunday. I mean, they they basically had zero chance of winning that cup final with the team that Mourinho is currently managing. But, I mean, the way City have played the last couple of games against Leeds and Chelsea, you kind of think, maybe, if, if, if Mourinho did one of his occasional specials where he just absolutely shithouses the, the life out of the game and they, and they nick one, then that then you could you could have seen them possibly doing it, but yeah, I mean the the timing is odd, but I I just wonder whether they're they're just thinking, well, look, it's going nowhere. Let's not give the guy the satisfaction of possibly getting a trophy, because then if he does win the trophy, then it's impossible to sack him because he's done what he was what he was brought in to do. Whereas um, you do it now, you you remove remove all all probability out of the out of the situation. And I think I think. I mean, from a Spurs perspective, it's absolutely the right call. From our perspective, it's annoying timing because, to be honest, the, probably the only way we're beating beating a, a team that's got the quality of Spurs was where they're still kind of in that malaise that they've been over the last, what, three months or so, whereas now shackles are off. The players are going to be able to play with play with a lot more freedom, and yeah, we're in a whole world of trouble. <laughs> um, Dan, you were at uh, the press conference with Ralph earlier today on Monday. Um, how do you think the sort of decision to sack Mourinho impacts Saints' approach to the game? Because I suppose arguably it makes it harder. As Steve mentioned, they got a bit more of a, a carefree sort of spare side. I, I suppose potentially, plus the the fact that Ralph and his staff won't necessarily have that uh, analytical uh, exposure. Now, I think that's what he was talking about, right? Yeah, that's the the first point he made is that the analysts have been working away for the past week or so preparing for a Jose Mourinho Tottenham and now it's going to be Ryan Mason's Tottenham, isn't it, I think? Um, Yeah, 29. Yeah, I mean, yeah, starting like Eddie Howe. I think when it comes to that, I think you can just prepare for the players. Southampton have played Tottenham enough times. They know their qualities. They know their strengths. They're not going to change anything, really. I, I can't see anything drastic being changed. And of course they've got a cup just, final in five days time. And they've got a cup final. So it's going to be, as Steve said, I think they're just going to play with the shackles off. I don't think you're going to see anything too too mental. You know, I don't think you're going to see like 10 changes and they're playing new formations, etc. So I think you just prepare for the players that, that they know Tottenham have and that that's pretty much all they can do in this instance. Uh, I think the timing is really interesting because I think Levy is pretty big on like must-win games. If you think back to when Pochettino was sacked, I think it was before the West Ham game, and the feeling was that they had to win that game, and that Levy felt that Tottenham had a better chance of winning that game if they didn't have Pochettino in charge, and he made the change. And after Everton, that defeat to Everton, Southampton 
from conversations I've had, has become that kind of must-win game in his head. Now, he's obviously looked at that and thought, well, if we win, we're, what, two points behind the Champions League spots, maybe? I've not seen the table, but I think they're five points behind. And he's looked at that and thought, well, actually, I think we've got a better chance of beating Southampton without Mourinho in charge. So that's why they've made the decision. Finances don't really matter. It would have cost as much to do it in seven weeks' time. So if you're going to do it, just do it. And if he thinks they've got a better chance of winning this game without him in charge, then that's why he's done it. And Glenn, uh, Saints could potentially be boosted by Harry Kane being out injured as well. Uh, obviously, he twisted his ankle uh, late on in that Everton game. And I saw Dan Kilpatrick at the Evening Standard uh, tweeted a few hours ago that uh, he was absent from uh, Mason's first training session today. I, I suppose small mercies for Saints at the moment because uh, obviously, like uh, the entire Fantasy Premier League uh, world, I made him captain, so he did all right at Everton. But he's got a pretty good scoring record against Saints. So anything we can do to try and uh, minimize the pain, I suppose, is a positive. Yeah, we just got... Son, Kane, Deli Alley, Bergwijn, all those other players they've got to get rid of now, and we might have a chance. Um, I, personally, I don't, I don't think Kane missing make, makes our job particularly any easier. In the same way, I don't think Mourinho being sacked makes it any easier or any harder. It, it, they, they've got players that are, you know, on a on a different level to most of ours, especially the way we're playing at the moment. I, you know, I wasn't. Exp- I wasn't expecting anything from this game at the at the final whistle after the after our semi final finished. And um, to be honest, even though it's been a pretty momentous couple of days at Tottenham, and even with Harry Kane injured, I'm still not expecting anything uh, anything too different. To be honest, um, yeah, I mean, I, I dare say we'll we'll try and put in the same sort of performance that we put in against Leicester, and and try and keep it tight and try and stay in the game as long as we can. I mean, it's it's interesting they've got their their cup final in a, in a few days and. You know, and when we had that sort of situation, we were absolutely dire against West Brom, and, and no one could raise a jog. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, if they've got any players who um, who really, you know, don't fancy it too much from the point of view of uh, staying out of injury trouble and all that. I'm not expecting much. Such is my optimism about our team at the moment. I was going to say I find it hard to believe. And uh, focusing on Saints, then Steve, our, our record at Spurs over the years is pretty appalling, which I think every uh, one listening will appreciate. Certainly since we returned to the Premier League in 2000. 12. Since then, it's played nine at Spurs in all competitions, and we've lost eight. The only positive, which everyone will remember, of course, was the 2-1 win under Ronald Koeman in 2016, thanks to Stephen Davis's brace, the last ever game at the old White Hart Lane, of course. Um, confident we can get something from this, Steve, or are we just clutching the straws, really? Not especially. Yeah, I've... I, anything other than a hiding, I think, is probably a bonus at the moment. Just It's just one of those games that you just got to get through. Yeah, I mean, there's there's... There's a lot, as as I say. I mean, I I think that that Mourinho going does free free them up quite a lot, and I think that will that will not end well for us. Um, even with even without Kane, they've got a lot of pace, and pace is something that we are bad at dealing with. And they're not gonna they're not gonna sit as deep and invite pressure in the way that the Mourinho Spurs did. They're, that'll be that'll be consigned to the bin because they won't won't have the the pressure of uh, being hung out to dry by the manager in the post match interview to. Uh, to worry about so yeah i i don't see this going well particularly given how kind of anemic we've we've looked the last couple of games and especially given given the the magnitude of the game yesterday it's it's just kind of taken taken any remaining wind out of our sails i think 
Dan, just finally then, um, given Saints season now, and I suppose the fact that for all of us it sort of feels over in inverted commas, which is never a good sign when they're nine points off the relegation zone and things like that. But uh, I suppose with the situation we're in and just about being safe, is it worth, Ralph, you know, despite the opposition, maybe giving a, a bit of game time over the next few weeks to some of the, the sort of younger players starting with the Spurs game, you know, maybe to, to see what they can do in the Premier League, the likes of the Salasus, the Tellers, the Jankovic's, you know, maybe even the Will Ferries, things like that. Or do you think he's more likely to just stick with the, the tried and tested and I say tried and tested in inverted commas? I think he will, and I, I touched on this in the in the press conference actually, and uh, this will come out after the embargo, so I think I'm fine talking about it. But uh, the fact that this time last year, or well, not this time last year, but this at this stage of the season last year, when it became clear that Pierre Hoiberg wasn't going to be staying at the club or going to commit his future to Southampton, Ralph dropped him. And there are a couple of players with question marks over their careers. And I put it to him earlier, whether he would look to do something similar. And he referred to the fact that during Project Restart last year, he had Romeo and he had Romeo who could come in and replace Pierre. And then that gave Romeo and Prousey six games to build up the automatisms was, was his word. And that benefited Saints at the start of this season. Now, I, I look at it and I think, well, has he got the players to do that this time? And I think that there are more question marks over the defence, in my opinion, as opposed to elsewhere on the pitch. And you look at it and you think, well, do you suck it up and have some short-term pain and maybe play Jack Stevens and Salisu and drop two other defenders? Or do you just stick with the status quo to see you through to the summer and try and finish as high up the league as possible. I think that's that's going to be an interesting thing that Ralph has to manage. And I think we'd all like to see Teller made such a, you know, a bit of a really good impact when he came on a bit earlier in the season. And we saw the, the impact he had off the bench and he was even good starting. Um, one player I'd like to see more of is, is Jankovic, whether that's because he's kind of did made that humongous mistake at Old Trafford and that the kind of mystique grows. And then we saw what he did with a Swiss under 21s and he looked really good. So I'd like to see him given a go. Yeah. Um, I think Glenn de Lacour's the, uh, the head of the Alex Jankovic fan club now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Not quite sure how that's happened, but yeah. I, uh... <laughs> From zero to hero. No, I, well, it, it, it's, it's just, I, I don't it's believe. It's banter selection. Yeah. I don't believe in doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And Was watch, it the definition it. of insanity, isn't it? Yeah. And what, and watching it fail. So yeah. I'd, I'd like to see him, given a chance in the centre midfield, maybe as part of a midfield three. I'd like to see Salesu given a chance, be that as a left back instead of Bertrand, because Bertrand's obviously not going to be with us next year, or it's, begin, you know, looking 99% that way at the moment. Give him a go. Will Ferry, I think, is he's kind of a left back stroke left winger, so I don't know whether he's remotely ready to play for the first team. He's been on the bench the last few weeks. Um, and Nathan Teller should, could certainly not do worse than the collect, the, uh, the other wide players, or I'm not going to mention, who we, who we, have, who we uh, have had playing over the last few weeks. So, yeah, give him a go. But I guess the difficulty in terms of swapping the defence at the moment is they've got Tottenham, Leicester and Liverpool coming yeah. up and they're not they're not easy games and it's well how much do you Merseyside change? Reds you mean Dan sorry Merseyside Reds apologies yeah I don't, think, but I don't think Sali- I don't think Salisu is particularly a gamble I mean if you, if you if you put him in for example instead of Bednarek at the moment move Vestergaard to the right hand channel I don't really see that as weakening things particularly or taking an unnecessary gamble give him a, more pace 
give him a go and see well, it's centre back, he yeah, but I suppose it would be yeah. a risk putting him at left back or something, wouldn't it? So, yeah. But any any more risk than the version of Ryan Bertrand we've currently got? You know, Salisu did okay defensively against Manchester City, so it's not it's not as if he's going to get absolutely roasted playing playing down that wing. Famous last words. But I, I don't I don't see the disadvantage of, of giving him a game. But his long term future is not a left back, so. Maybe, maybe, maybe there isn't a lot of point in that. Indeed. All right. Well, let's send the pod with our normal pre-match score predictions. Uh, it's almost wrapped up now. The title for Glenn uh, before he joins the European Super Prediction League. Um, but Glenn's on uh, 24 points. Dan's on 14. I'm on 13. Steve's on seven. As a reminder, you get three points uh, for a correct score prediction. You get one point if you say they're going to win. But uh, for example, you say two 0 and they win two one. So uh, that's just for anyone new that's listening. That's how it works. Um, Dan, let's start with you. What do you reckon for Tottenham Hotspur uh, or London Whites or whatever they're called these days versus Saints? Uh, I'm going to go 3-0 Spurs. I'm going to jump in there then because that's exactly what I've got as well. I've put here, sorry, the wheels are off. We just need the season to end 3-0 Spurs. Steve? Uh, yeah, that was exactly what I was going to go. Let's just do it. Let's just all go 3-0. Uh, well, no, because I, I need to claw some points back because I'm way adrift at the end, so I might as well go for something random. Oh, God, let's go 5-3 Spurs. 5-3 Spurs, all right. Gen- genuine shits and giggles game. <laughs> Glenn, you go 3-0, are you? Nah, I got 2-0 Spurs. 2-0 Spurs, all right, excellent. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. I think we're all gutted Saints lost at Wembley, and more importantly, that they didn't do themselves any justice whatsoever. One thing is 100% for sure, they certainly didn't leave everything on the pitch. Hopefully they do indeed do that at Spurs on Wednesday night. We'll be back again after the Leicester City game on the 1st of May, so no further podcast this week coming. We'll speak to you then, and keep marching in. Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.